you're listening to the Rosenfeld Review, where we're just a bunch of blind men trying to figure out that elephant together. My guest today is one of the one of the uh, my oldest friends. I guess who you could say is in the industry. Maybe not quite the same industry, but we go back a long time. His name is Jim Ottaviani, and. Jim and I were in library school. Well, it wasn't still called library school anymore, but we were at the University of Michigan School of Information. When was it, Jim? Like, I think I was 88 to 90, and you were like 90 to 92 or something? Yeah, I think our our overlap was about a year. And as I recall, I entered, and as I entered, it was still library school, but as I left, it was no longer. So there might have been some library embedded in one or both of our degrees. Yeah. And I don't you know, even remember anymore though. It, it's so wild that, um, and, and things change so quickly that, um, like I date my beginning, uh, at library school, my matriculation, uh, with the presence of the 2400 baud, uh, couplers for the modems, uh, yeah, uh okay. that we used to use to do online searching. I think by the time you started, we were, we had moved to, uh, uh, with a, a fancy computer lab that had Windows three machines and uh, um, sounds about right. CD ROM, man, they were cool. Um, yeah, but amazing. But, but it the now it, it's it's wow. It is thirty years later, Jim, and um, you've had quite a career. Uh, so Jim was oh, like the, the, but... the people, one of the the people that like we all kind of worship back in library school because he had been a nuclear engineer already in a prior life and uh, was, was and that's clearly... Worthy of, that's worthy of worship? Well, I mean, you were Talk just like... false idols. You really... Well, okay, but you were like very impressive and um, you were already um, wading into this interesting area of graphic novels. So if you... You probably don't know Jim Ottaviani, but he is the first... New York Times bestselling author I've had on the Rosenfeld Review. Unfortunately, not one of my own authors. Maybe we'll get there one of these days. But Jim is known as essentially like the graphic novelist when it comes to books about scientists. So Jim started like literally in his basement 25 years ago, 30 years ago, writing books about scientists. And he just stayed with it and... Wrote, has written books about uh, just fascinating subjects ranging from Alan Turing to Richard Feynman to Jane Goodall. Uh, his most recent books uh, include, uh, these are pandemic books. He did two during the pandemic already, The Naturalist uh, with E.O. Wilson and uh, right. Astronauts, uh, Women on the Final Frontier. Uh, I mean, like, and you were kind of self-publishing, if I recall, and now you do books with like Macmillan, and you're you've been an Oprah selection, and you're a New York Times best-selling author. And I knew you when. It's a weird life, isn't it? Um, I like to say I knew you when because you're a you're a big-time publisher. Oh yeah, I'm a big-time New York publisher. Just look at me. But the truth is, we have some things in common, and I think your journey. Mm-hmm in the last 25, 30 years is really fascinating. I mean, like, you know, oh, we have those you. shared librarianship roots mm-hmm. and uh, you're still a librarian. I, I, I'm a turncoat. I went over to the dark side and became a publisher years ago, but you still work at the University of Michigan Libraries and you are writing these books, working with Ace uh, 
illustrators and letterers and, and mm-hmm. colorists and doing this amazing work that's um, really pushed this genre of, of comics. Maybe we can say it's a genre and no longer a subgenre, but an actual you genre. You know, I think it actually is at this point. There, there are many more people besides me doing it now than there were when I started. Uh, and when I started, as you mentioned, it, it's, it was as a self-publisher. And I had the idea to do this type of book. And I pitched it around to various comic book publishers, basically. Uh, the whole idea, th- this notion of a publisher like Macmillan or Simon & Schuster or Penguin Random House or whoever doing this, that, that was just unthinkable. Yeah. Uh, but but even offering it to comic book folks, uh, there were a fair number who liked the concept or the idea behind it. Uh, but I think I might have mentioned this to you in, in these words before. Uh, the response I typically got was, can't wait to read that when somebody else publishes it. <laughs> uh, and, Sorry to laugh, know, but at least it's in the rearview mirror at this point. Yeah. Why were you and getting so, that reaction? That, what, what was so like, nice but in their minds i don't know i mean it's a very different publishing landscape now than it was 20 20 odd years ago gosh mm. it's getting close to 25 isn't yeah. it um and our mutual friend scott mcleod uh, put it pretty well uh er, not too long after i started doing these things he pointed out that the, the manga revolution that was happening, or like the first wave of manga coming over to the United States and the North American publishing world was just starting to happen. Uh, he very astutely noted that it was bringing a lot of new readers in to uh, the form, the medium. And he used much saltier language than I'm about to use now. But he said, if we just don't screw this up <laughs> in about 15, 10, 15 years, all these young women who are reading manga right now will be entering the publishing profession. And you'll start to see a shift in the types of books people are interested in reading and therefore publishing and therefore writing and drawing. And I think he was right. Yeah, so that's that is so hitting home for me because yeah, today um, my daughter Iris, who is uh, believe it or not seventeen, and and you've known her her whole life, yeah. and she's like getting into colleges now. Um, uh, she's supposed to be working, and I poked <laughs> my head in, and like almost any other time, I poke my head in. She is on a tablet drawing. Uh-huh. essentially to me look like manga characters yeah and and it's like oh dad i'm just taking a break but she's like it's odd she's always taking a break anytime i poke in she's on the tablet but uh and, and you know I, I, it's not only that younger generation of, of people that are clearly influenced and and you know like the whole i mean they're mm-hmm. not doing comics necessarily but just like the the sort of figures that they mm-hmm. think to draw are so clearly clearly influenced by that area and and you know now you're making me think also that some of the favorite my favorite illustrations that we've had done for our own books 
in the last few years have been by Deb Aoki, who totally... Oh, she's terrific. You know Deb. I do. Oh, my God. I it's had no idea. It's a world. Oh, wow. That is amazing. I had I no mean, idea I, you knew I, Deb. I don't want to claim that we're, we're, we're real close friends, but we've certainly run into each other multiple times in the comics convention, you know, amazing. festival type circuit. I had yeah, no she's, idea. And she's terrific. Yeah. I love her work. I love her work. And we've, I think Gosh, she's I done at least two have... books for us now. I wish I could remember off the top of my head, which. Not, not too far, you know, over in the closet there. I'm sure I've got in one of the shoe boxes full of mini comics, some of her old A-girl books, you know, the basically photocopied zine style. Yeah. Wow. Great work. So, all right. So this and, leads me to a question. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, you mentioned Scott McCloud to, to whom so many owe a debt. Yes. Uh, and uh, he, he certainly was very prescient in that observation about, you know, don't don't F it up in the next 10 or 15 years and, and things are going to be very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I remember feeling very excited by his work, like understanding comics is came out. What is about 20 years? A little bit longer than that. I think it's right around nine right around 1990. I want to say it's about 30 years old. We could look this up, obviously, but sure. So that would have been out. The writing was clearly on the wall. Um, I engaged a guy named Kevin Cheng Mm -hmm. to write a book for us called see what I mean. Yep. I I remember when you did this and I think it's a wonderful book. book, wonderful book. And, um, I think it came out, I'm just shooting from memory, like something like 2010 ish. Okay. And give or take a year or two. And, uh, he was showing the reader how to use comics to basically, among other things, do storyboarding, which in the design world is critical, but not just in Mm -hmm. the design world, anyone who is trying to communicate, uh, experience plus time. Yes. And I, I, I think it's a great book. I'm biased of course, but, um, for the most part, I love all my children, but um, I, I really <laughs> thought he did a wonderful job and it didn't like, it wasn't a failure, but it certainly didn't take the design world by storm. Yeah. It surprises me actually, because it, I, I remember you talking about it before it came out. I remember getting it once it came out and thought, God, this, this has to be like, well, you kind of hope it's not a revelation mm-hmm. for designers but I don't think you would have done it if you didn't think there wasn't a, a knowledge gap, if you will, among them for which this book uh, would fill for well, which it would fill. That's pretty bad grammar. Well, I'm, with you know you. I mean. I'm with you. I'm with you. And you know, it, it, if not revelatory, it, it should at least be, you know, both consolidate consolidatory mm-hmm. and, yeah. um, and also, you know, make, make the, it was very practical. It was like really like, you know, how to apply, uh, uh, comics to design. And, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it, prov- it provides very much like Scott's book, uh, a vocabulary here, here, here's a shared vocabulary. Here's, here's a language that we can now use to talk about, uh, these ideas where before, <laughs> You might have to just continue to sketch things out uh, and draw things. Heaven forbid. Uh, so yeah, I mean, all right. So it 
it makes me think of that audience. And yeah. we may have not, we may have been a little early with that book, but I want to get back to your work and how you've seen the audience change in 25 years. Now, clearly, like, you know, from a commercial perspective, you know, you, you went from not long ago talking to comic book publishers who, who look mm -hmm. forward to another publisher taking your work on to the point where you're not talking to comic book publishers any longer. You're talking to the, the, the Knopfs and the Macmillans and, and, and yeah. folks like that. So, you know, it, there's definitely like, you know, it's viable. But, but are they not comic book publishers now? I guess uh, is, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to tease and be, yeah. be uh, sort of pedantic about it. I think all those publishers have become comic book publishers in part because, you know, it's a commercial enterprise. They saw some money there, but also the reason they saw money is they saw an audience that was interested in books about things other than people wearing skin tight clothing, punching mm. each other. <laughs> and there's, and that kind of folds back into the, the manga idea, not manga has had what was never focused the way North American publishing was focused comic book publishing, I should say was focused on one genre only. And even North American comic book publishing wasn't single genre until the 60s, 70s. And that's when uh, basically superheroes took over and ate, ate, ate every other genre. Oh, launch. just like in Hollywood now. That's what's happening in Hollywood now, almost. Yeah. Um, so we <laughs> give it another 30 years and Hollywood will come back and rediscover, you know, romance, uh, Western. That's uh, Science Mature fiction, please, again. please, like real sci-fi, but that's another story. Yeah, real sci-fi, all those things. Um, so, yeah, I think, I don't know where I was going with this. Well, just the uh, change in, like, so publishing has changed, mm -hmm. clearly, but. It has. Like, I, I, you know, the audience itself and how it relates to the genre, I'm wondering if you're seeing that as a change, like, so. You know, I don't know if your readers 20 years ago were people who were just sort of like blown away or, or, or just sort of almost caught off guard in a really good way about interacting with content mm -hmm. in graphic novel form that was just right. so not what they were expecting in graphic novel form. Whereas yeah, today they may be a little more jaded about the, the genre. And, you know, I don't know if you feel like you have a harder time in some respects connecting with your audience today. Oh, I don't know if that's true, but I think we can separate genre and medium. And back in the day, what I would, the people who were willing to take a chance as readers on my books were pre-sold on the medium of comics, uh, but perhaps very much like you and me, maybe at the time, it's like, I think I've read about as many Spider-Man stories as I want to read in my life, or pick your favorite character, whatever. Um, 
but I still kind of like comics. I see the, the, that way of taking in narrative, taking in story, and maybe even ch- just taking in pure information uh, in a nonfiction, uh, in, in the realm of nonfiction, I like it. So I'm going to start looking for books that, that engage my brain in that way, but are not number 787,412 of the Spider-Man saga, but instead is the first of the story about uh, Richard Feynman in this world, a guy I've never heard of as a comic, as a lifelong comics reader, but it turns out might be interesting to, to me. And is that, is it more typical that uh, your readers are people who started with comics and, and then said, Oh, comics can be, you know, a, a medium for other genres or other subject areas like science, mm-hmm. or are they people who are interested in, in science and uh, maybe then move to graphic novels? Right. So th- that's where I would say, I, I'm pretty sure there's a big shift between 20 years ago and now mm-hmm. 20 years ago, it was, huh, graphic novels. Now it's just, I'm looking for stuff about scientists or I'm looking for interesting nonfiction. I happen to like comics. Is there anything out there? This is, you know, on librarian Twitter and various other areas, you'll see folks popping up, not infrequently. I don't want to say like it's every day. It shows up in... In a, in a feed where I'm, I'm in, it's like, I'm looking for books about science in graphic novel form. Are there any? Oh. And the answer is yes. Whereas I would say maybe 20, 30 years ago, librarians were, look, were just looking for graphic novels of any kind that they could comfortably recommend to either kids uh, who are interested in any any given topic or to parents and not have the parents come back, you know, a week later saying, this was awful. I'm, I'm embarrassed to have had this in my house. I'm, I will not vote for the library millage next year uh, because, because you had comics uh, like this in your collection. Well, I, I'm, you know, uh, t- to me, like one of the big questions, of course, is, you know, moving out of school libraries and public libraries. I'm wondering how the, the, uh, the academic industrial complex has, <laughs> has related to uh, 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 graphic novels in, in terms of uh, the academic librarian and, and, and mm-hmm. the whole, you know, uh, uh, the, the whole world of, of citation analysis and so forth. But we'll save that perhaps for after the break. You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review with my guest, Jim Ottaviani. We'll be right back. I want to tell you about our next conference for a moment. It's called Design at Scale. It takes place virtually June 9th through 11th. This is a conference that used to be called Enterprise UX, and then it was called Enterprise Experience, and now it's Design at Scale. We're using that framing because we think it's actually a bit more flexible and welcoming than Enterprise. And let's face it, everyone is dealing with scale problems Uh, not just in large enterprises like the IBMs and the uh, Facebooks of the world, but people in places that you wouldn't think of as enterprises are really dealing with these challenges of scale. 
what do I mean by design at scale? Well, in many cases, it's uh, the fact that you can't get all the various people around the table any longer that are involved in the design process. Those may be sponsors and funders, they may be designers and researchers, they may be developers, they may be external agencies and partners. Either way, the process is so fragmented and so many people are involved. We've got some problems and some challenges that are hard to, to deal with. And then the users. Well, the users may not be the customers. You may have uh, people using a, a system on behalf of customers. All these challenges of complexity and distribution are all wrapped up in the broader issue of scale. I've been working with a great curation team, uh, Ladagor Lenko, Uday Gajindar, Kid Unger, and we've found some fantastic speakers, both uh, through our call for proposals. We've got uh, something like 160 uh, proposals to choose from. We've already started to, uh, to flesh in the program. We've got speakers that you've heard of, like Peter Merholtz, Kenneth Bowles, Sherry Byrne-Haber, Cornelius Rakiero, Billy Mandel, Surya Ivanka, and lots of folks that you probably haven't heard of, but we're really good at finding the best stories uh, from people that you might not know and getting them in a place where they can give a fantastic presentation uh, because we put them to work really prepping and iterating and collaborating as they develop their talks over many months. So if this sounds like something you're interested in, uh, I hope you'll join us. Design at Scale takes place once again virtually June 9th through 11th. You can learn more about it at designatscaleconf.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review with my guest, Jim Ottaviani, uh, the, um, the guy when it comes to graphic novels about science. Oh, I'm going to demure. I know you are. At this That's point, it, it's it was a, a guy. A guy. Well, maybe the first but, one. But, you know, so I wanted to talk a little bit more about your, your work. And, mm -hmm. you know, so much of what you've done is about scientists. I mean, yes. like, and just this fascinating mix, like, you know, I mean, Feynman is one of the most interesting people, bar none, science or otherwise, mm -hmm. uh, Jane Goodall, I mean, Diane Fossey, yes. uh, I mean, all these people are just like incredible. And w one of the magical things I think that you can do in your work and one of your superpowers is bringing out science scientific theories in the context of, of these, of their, their, their progenitors. I mean, like mm -hmm. relativity in the context of Einstein. Yes. And, I mean, it's one of the reasons that like, I like to read your books and my kids like to read your books. And I like that my kids read your books because I know they're <laughs> learning something that they wouldn't ordinarily learn. Um, but what about, like, I'm kind of interested in how you choose topics in general. And are mm -hmm. you ever going to like choose a topic that is really just about a theory? Like, you know, are you going to teach us string theory one of these days? Because uh, string theory, is that, you know, someone's baby or is it not? I'm, I don't think of it as having sprung from one person's head the way relativity did. And even that, you know, relativity did have many, many precursors. Einstein wasn't operating in a vacuum. Ha <laughs> uh, <laughs> ha. All right. Purely in a vacuum. Uh, but yeah, I don't think string theory is quite like that. And, you know, just to stick with that particular subject, man, I don't know if I could ever do that. I have that, that stuff is 
beyond me. Uh, I have read a little bit about it, and it's very difficult for me to wrap my head now around. Now I don't feel so bad. The, ba- the basic ideas of relativity are not that crazy, and I think f- fairly amenable to a graphic presentation. Uh, and oddly enough, I'm, we're getting close to wrapping up an Einstein book right now. Uh, probably will come out next year. And the integration of the theory to the life is particularly uh, strong with Einstein, uh, in part because I don't think he was ever not thinking about this in his life, even as he philandered away, and et cetera, et cetera. He was not actually a very, he was not a good husband or father. So I hear. Um, but, uh, and that actually made it a little bit difficult to write about him and sympathize with him sometimes. It's like, oh man, don't, no, don't, come on. <laughs> um, but he, he actually was asked to provide a biography of himself in some fairly popular publication. And all it was, was the origin of relativity theory. That's how he thought of his life hmm. was as, as he gets to relativity, progresses through it and what he was doing after it. You know, the fact that he had children, <laughs> that he was married, et cetera, didn't seem to be relevant to him. But to your question about a, a pure topic, uh, a subject, I'm actually working on a book right now about an idea. And it's basically, the, what are the limits of human performance? Uh, physically, I mean, you know, you're a runner, I'm a runner, and I'm going to use running as like the, the, the test case or the, the case study for human performance. But you know, there's, of course, so many other things that humans can do with their bodies and with their brains. Uh, and there's no individual to focus on uh, for this. I had an idea about focusing on an individual, and uh, my editors shot it down. And they had good they had good reason to do this, and that person's still going to appear. And I'm not going to talk talk more much more about that right now because I'm actually pretty fond of the the framing uh, sequences that I'm going to have to use this. But I'm not sure I've got it right yet, so I don't want to say anything, jinx it. Uh, but it but without that organ the organizing principle of a human life to pe- to move through and have that person basically narrating their own story, turns out it's really difficult for me. Um, well, the journey is uh, what often carries a book forward. And, uh, that's the, right. The, human, the individual human journey is the, the most obvious and, and familiar to any other human, obviously. That's right. Totally relatable to people. Everybody, everybody's gone through you know, success and loss and unrealized potential and being thwarted by outside forces, all, all those classic storytelling Like I tropes. think you covered, uh, was it Rosalind Franklin? Mm-hmm, Man, yes. it was just so touching. I mean, it was painful. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's painful. And, you know, this character has some painful aspects to their lives, to their life as well. So, but absent using that as the organizing force for it, it turns out I don't really know how to write this book. And so I'm learning how to do this as I go. I just, I spent this, this morning and this afternoon uh, finally printing out all my note cards. 
I type up my notes for, for ideas or facts or topics or whatever per page, um, just in, a word, in word processing, then print them out, cut it into fourths. And then I have all these, you know, effectively four by six cards. And now it's time to do the shuffling oh. of these. But yeah, it's hard without, without having a beginning and a middle and an end, which most lives that I've touched on so far have had to, you know, bring structure to it. So here's my non uh, fiction publisher slash man, uh, acquisitions editor perspective for you. And, and yes, please. Uh, um, y- you need a hero. Can the reader, mm-hmm. can your reader be the hero in that one? Yes. I think that's where this is going. It'll be interesting. And um, for that really valuable piece of advice I just gave you, I'm going to expect a comp when the, when the book comes out. In the meantime, <laughs> in the meantime, we it's could go. It'll be a little while. It'll be a while. I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait. We, we've been Thanks. at this together. I've been a reader for twenty plus years now, so I'm I'm happy to wait a ma- wait it out. We got to wrap up, but I when mm-hmm. and we could go much longer. And uh, I, I wish I could be in Ann Arbor, sitting in uh, Dominic's with you right now, or some other um, place that's probably probably Dominic's isn't even there anymore. But um, it, it's it is. I don't think they're open yet, though. It, it will happen. It will happen. I will be there. I miss it. And I miss you guys. Oh, yeah. But um, before we wrap, I have my tradition of having my guests on the podcast tell me a little bit about something or someone that they think deserves to have a little light shown on it. Which got hmm. for me? What do I have? Well, listener, spoiler, we talked about this beforehand. So this is not completely off the top of my head. Um, Damn, I was trying to make it seem so natural and uh, spontaneous, know, and you you blew me up there. Thank you. Thanks. I'm a, a nonfiction lot. guy. I guess so. I'm I'm revealing my I'm revealing my source notes. Um, so I we thought about this. Um, the organization that there's an organization that I've been involved with for a little over a dozen years now, and they came to Ann Arbor uh, a few years before I got involved with them. I think they're in Brooklyn. Uh, Two, and they're actually all over the country. And this is the 826 uh, folks. There's 826 Michigan, there's 826 Brooklyn, there's 826 Valencia, which is actually where it started. Uh, this is a reading. Is that .com or .org or? It's a .org. Okay. Yeah. And it's a reading, writing, tutoring workspace for kids from basically K through 12. Um, founded by Dave Eggers out in San oh, Francisco. Yeah, the superhero store is yeah. the one here in Brooklyn. Yeah, the superhero store is in Brooklyn. I think it's the pirate store in in San Francisco at 826 Valencia. Huh. And their secret origin story is, is this. Uh, Eggers starts this uh, organization to, to encourage creative writing and reading and also do some tutoring after school tutoring because lots of kids need that uh, out there in San Francisco at this, at this uh, specific address, 826 Valencia, mm-hmm. a little while after it happens. And I'm totally doing broad brush of this history, 
But a little while after, you know, some city city official comes over and says, you know, man, this this is great what you're doing, but this place is zoned commercial, and you can't just be doing what you're doing here. And you know, but look, kids reading, writing, it's like zoned commercial, and so they set up a pirate supply store where you could, you know, buy eye patches and uh, plastic swords or whatever, fake parrots. Mm -hmm. And that is sort of carried through to all the branches around the country. Uh, as you said, the, the one there in Brooklyn is the superhero supply store. So I assume you can get capes um, and ray guns and things like that. The one here in Michigan is the robot supply and repair. So we will fix your robots. We will sell you robot-like things. Uh, robot tiers are available, all sorts of goofy stuff. Anyway, this is, this is a, a great place for kids to explore the wonders of the written word. And the, mainly and by the imagination. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds fantastic. Uh, I, I should kick my two kids down the street to the, the superhero store. It's only about a three-minute walk. Jim Ottaviani, thanks so much for joining us today. It's great, well, to, re to, great the, to connect. You're welcome, and thank you. Jim Ottaviani, uh, graphic novelist, or as they used to say, comic book writer of science. And, you know, both work. And also, and I, I'll say it again, uh, and it just, make, it just puts chills down my spine new york times best-selling author uh and uh look for his next two books uh naturalist and uh astronauts women on the final frontier jim thanks again you're welcome Lou. thank you thanks for listening to the rosenfeld review brought to you by rosenfeld media if you like our show please subscribe and review it on itunes stitcher or your favorite podcast platform I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.